Rambo Part 3. Welcome to our continuing exploration of the Rambo films and the politics around them. So this time, we're going to do another three-year leap forward in time. John Rambo is now living in Thailand. Colonel Troutman tracks him down and asks for his help on a secret mission. The mission involves going to Afghanistan to supply the local tribes with weapons to aid in the fight against the Russian. Rambo refuses. He's had enough of war, he says. This mission's important, John. I want you to come with me to help me lead the team. What do you say, John? I put in my time. What's that mean? It means my war's over. Colonel Troutman continues on his mission with a CIA-funded mercenary team. It all goes horribly wrong. Most of the team are killed and the colonel captured by the Russians. When Rambo is told about this, he sets off on his own one-man rescue mission. And once again, author David Morrell wrote the novelization of the script. I think it was his last one. Sylvester Stallone wrote the script with Sheldon Ludditch. The production budget was $63 million. The most expensive film ever made up to that point. And so while it made money, it wasn't anywhere near as much as uh, Rambo 2. And it had a whole lot of production problems. Yeah, if the production cost a lot and was confusing, so was the politics it was copying by this point. Having referenced Vietnam in the last two films, a new approach was needed. But the Russians as the bad guys was still very topical when the film was being made. This is the Reagan era. The funding of Afghanistan tribes by the CIA to fight the Russians had been going on since 1979. However, the world had moved on by the time the film was released. The occupation was over and the Russians were withdrawing. Back in America, the Iran-Contra scandal was in full swing with Oliver North about to be put on trial. The funding of overseas wars was very much the centre of attention and this, of course, was years before the full implication of the Afghan tribes was realised. This political maelstrom, coupled with, at best, an average box office, brought the series to a stop. But before we go into the politics, guys, what did you think of the film? For me, it was just a by-the-numbers action movie. I mean, and a little bit of a disappointment. Not, It was enjoyable. It was a, you know, a romp. It was a sort of lots of explosions and stuff. But where I thought Rambo... One in particular, and Rambo Two to some degree, were more intellectual, and they were talking about post-traumatic stress, and they were delving into the mindset of Rambo, and by extension to Vietnam vets in general. This was just a paint-by-numbers action film, really. You know, Rambo does this, they attack him with a helicopter. Then Rambo does this, and they come back at him. You know, and it was very, very procedural. It's great fun. But it's not got much depth, has it really? No. I think when you contrast it to the the first film, I think it's brilliant, excellent. It's almost a, an art house film with some action scenes and, you know, involved. Then you have Rambo 2, which tries to have it both ways. It tries to be the big bombastic action flake where the guy fires a rocket launcher through the, the windshield of a helicopter while also trying to be more messagey film. And then Rambo 3, in my, in my opinion, it's more cohesive, even though it's a more by-the-numbers action film. It's, uh, it was a little bit more enjoyable, I think, than the second one for me. Interesting. Neil? These things generally leave me cold. I mean, the recent examples of these sort of crap 
is um, Angela's fallen, London has fallen, Olympus has fallen. All, Great all awful. Um, and Gerard. I started Rambo 3 with the same sort of idea that, oh, God, this is going to be awful. It starts off with a scene with a rocky fight, and, and then you notice the Taiwanese Burgess Meredith in his corner, and I nearly switched off, to be honest, <laughs> until I thought, oh, actually, that was quite funny. And But actually, reasonably enjoy it. It actually doesn't... A, trying to be anything does it no it's just it, it seems happy in its own skin doesn't yeah. it <laughs> he waits he waits he waits oh no he goes off and then he does that and he does it again and then he wins yeah Woo-hoo. yeah what do you think this man is god oh god we have mercy he won't yeah, it's like a bond film without any kind of complications or, or anything any depth like a bond film without any women yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, the body yeah. count was ramped up significantly yes. in this film. The first one was one person dies by accident, yes. really, and this one it seemed to be millions. A lot, a yes. lot, except for Rambo, who they just could not shoot at at all. Yeah, well, I mean, the moment they start shooting at Rambo, they get stormtrooper aim. Yes, yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good point. You just stand there and shoot them, and everybody just dies. But he did cauterize his own wound he with did. gunpowder, stuff gunpowder into his body and set himself alight. Well, yeah, it's a standard procedure, isn't it, in Western medicine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no. No, it's, uh, it's, it's the way we do it over here with, uh, you know, knife wounds, which yeah. we get all the time. Laser cauterization, <laughs> yeah. For me, this is the worst of the Rambo films. The production was a mess. It was a disaster. Russell Mulcahy, who directed Highlander, I say directed Highlander because Highlander is an awful film as well. Um, you wield get letters. Yeah, why are the Scottish wielding uh, katanas? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is the one Scottish person in it an Egyptian, and the French person's the Scottish person? Why is that? Go on. Yeah, and they're wielding katanas. Uh, yes, they're wielding what? Katanas, Jap- Japanese swords. Is it okay? Yeah, and not even a not even a claymore. I have a more pure and accurate Scottish sword than they do. <laughs> For that lack of authenticity, yeah, really clearly fun. he was fired from Rambo Three, and <laughs> the, you know, I can see why. It's a delayed firing. It's, it's a delayed firing, and they brought on second unit director Peter McDonald, who said he tried to portray the lead character, and I quote Mr. McDonald here, I tried very hard to change the Rambo character a bit and make him a vulnerable and humorous person. I fail totally. Absolutely true. Yes. If you compare the Rambo in this film to the Rambo in First Blood, you know, that character who had doubts, who was suffering from PTSD or PTSS, to this guy who's like the ultimate 80s action hero, all the muscle going in, no humour whatsoever, just wanted to kill Afghans and Russians. What are you? The worst nightmare. It's a low point for the uh, for the series, I think. We talked about that budget, but a lot of that went on Stallone getting his Gulfstream jet with $12 million as part of his salary. He got a jet? He got a jet. Yeah. <laughs> as you do. And just from that purchase alone... Three million trees died. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, there Not is quite an interest- as many as Leonardo DiCaprio was killed in his lifetime. No. <laughs> and as a vegetarian, we all got our own back when we made him eat a buffalo heart in, um, what was that film? Revenant. Was the Revenant. Revenant. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Great film. Great film. 
But yeah, brilliant what, film. What I do find funny is the urban myth around Rambo Three. Obviously, he's fighting with Mojahardeen, who splintered off. Neil's going to disagree with me on this, but they splintered off, and part of them became the Taliban. Incorrect. According to Neil, according Mujahideen. to my research... Mujahideen is uh, someone who's involved in a jihad and that jihad means a struggle and that could be anything. And then if there is... I mean, it could literally be that they're struggling against obesity. Yeah, it, it could be. Yes. And in another country, issue. it's another thing and another thing. And yes, and then somebody calls them something else. I don't think this was the start of the Taliban. And I don't think it was the start of ISS, and I don't think it was any well, it of those no, things. No, 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 because I've read a book on, on oh, ISIS. you've read a book? I've read a book on Did ISIS. Did it have pictures? No, I, I had an audio book. <laughs> ISIS and the Taliban hated the sight of each other. Well, that's they were good. killing I mean, them off. Uh, yeah, so, I was just so, expecting you yeah, to no. make that uh, huge transition. No, that's fine. But the Mujahideen, some of them did split off and become the Taliban. That is a fact, I'm afraid. Some of them enjoyed fighting more than they should have done and went off and fought, um, oh, fought they, for... They fought from fought one oppressor. struggles in other countries, yes. One oppressor to another. But I miss, you're missing the point of what was going to be a succinct story, which now has rambled on <laughs> forever. And uh, guess who's going to have to fix that yeah, in the edit? Yeah. It is said in the urban myth that the film ended with the words dedicated to the brave Mujahideen fighters of Afghanistan at the end of the film. It doesn't. Did it, it ever? No. What is on there is dedicated to the gallant people of Afghanistan. All right. And it wasn't changed after 2001, which was the story that's always what it was. All right. So it, it, it is true. So it's about the only thing you can't write with that. It's a crazy time. And as a film, it's an average 80s actioner. But its timing was all wrong. You know, this film was released weeks after the Russians started pulling out of Afghanistan. I mean, Stallone's f- still far better than that uh, moron um, who was in um, Angel Has Whatever. Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. Well, don't knock Gerard. <laughs> I just had, I think. Well, Gerard sung in Phantom of the Opera. Stallone ever? Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, yes. he sung in Rhinestone, didn't he? Jared Butler was brilliant in the vanish in the Vanishing. Now, the Vanishing—that is the film that the light that was the true story of the lighthouse, the one, really? the Wales one. Yeah. All right. Okay. And this is where this whole thing gets complicated. So, on the surface, this is a straightforward action pick. Underneath, let's look at what was going on. The CIA were funding the Mujahideen, Muslim tribesmen to fight the Russians from 1979. Yeah. The mission was called Operation Cyclone, and the Americans kept boosting up the price from half a mil to 630 mil per year from 1987 up to the They were paying 630 million to Afghan rebels to tie the Russians up. Oh, it got even better than that. Stinger missiles, when they were first invented in the mid-'80s, the American military didn't get them first. The Mujahideen got them first which is why Stinger missiles were quite important in this film. Wow. You know, Neil makes the point, and it is a fair arguable point, about who were they funding, did they become the Taliban, or did they become... But this is what's happened in the Middle East for since... Time immemorial, we messed around with the Middle East. Absolutely. But Afghanistan... Crusades. Well, Afghanistan is is unique, though, isn't it? Nobody's ever won in in Afghanistan, ever. It's where empires go to die, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you did see some of the terrain there as well. I mean, there was there was barely one flat bit for their... Do you know uh, where they filmed they it, by the way? 
Uh, Arizona. Arizona. Was it Arizona? Arizona, yeah. I could not believe that. I thought, yeah, for that price, I thought they'd taken the entire crew (laughs) to Afghanistan. They filmed Lone Survivor in uh, Arizona as well. Did they? Now, that's a good film. I like that film. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the geographies are actually fairly similar. In a lot of ways. Yeah. One thing they don't show enough of Afghanistan is the beautiful forested mountains. The, the, of the what? Sorry? The beautiful forested mountains. Mountains covered it's in trees. Not just a, yeah. It's not just a desert. No. It's a very hard country, though. It is a hard country, yeah. Like, when they talk about it being the graveyard of empires, which it is, I think part of it is because nobody understands what they're getting into when they get into Afghanistan. It's not like one cohesive group. They've never been one cohesive group, from what I can understand. Which comes back to this discussion here about the Mujahideen and how that fractured and splintered off and some became the government and some became, well, the Taliban. And to be fair to the point that Neil is making is you can argue that they didn't actually fund them, but what they did do is set the training camps up that the Taliban went on to take over from the Americans and then use. That's the problem that you've got here. We've got a very simple action film in the middle of a very complex problem that became more complex as it went on. 2,000 Stinger missiles went over there, downed 279 Russian planes and helicopters. Holy cow. Yeah. And didn't the, uh, didn't the Afghanistan invasion almost bankrupt with Russia? Yeah. 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 So that, and when we spoke about Rambo 2, we spoke about that the Russians were also bankrolling the rebuilding of Vietnam after the war. So the combination of those two is what killed off the Soviet empire. Quite interesting. And there's another film related to this, Charlie Wilson's War. Anybody ever seen it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I have not. Mr. Hanks. Tom Hanks. Yeah, it's worth a look at. I mean, because they, again, in a sense, it's almost a prequel to this film. It, It shows how the Americans set up the funding for the rebels in Afghanistan. And... You know, where and and it touches on at the end where that goes horribly, horribly wrong. So it's it's a bit of a mess. So it, you know, whereas you know, when we looked at Rambo two, everything was upbeat. Reagan was in the white, you know, was at the height of his time in the White House. Loved the Rambo films and sort of you know, quoted them, uh, quoted Rambo two. Whereas this, the the rot had set in. As we said, we spoke about Oliver North. All of that was going on the pullout that was taking place. And in fact, in both Rambo, in First Blood and Rambo Part 2, they were behind the curves of what was going on. So in other words, you've got the Vietnam vet in trouble back in in his homeland, which is First Blood. You've got going back into Vietnam to rescue the POWs. These films came along after a number of others have done. Rambo 3 actually was ahead. After this came films like The Beast, Cargo 300, A Soldier's Story, and indeed Charlie Wilson's War, which we mentioned. So this was this was ahead of the curve. It's still rubbish, but, you know, it was ahead of the curve. <laughs> it just looked like somebody didn't really didn't want it made, and none of them well, did. I think... It's like somebody said, oh, there's money to be made, let's go for it. Yes. The success of Rambo 2 
nobody was expected that, you know, to, to take it to the lens it did. Or Rambo it, 1, the first one as well. Well, First Blood was mm-hmm. much more nuanced. Yes, but it was hugely successful. It came out of nowhere. And then Rambo 2 built on that stunning success. And, and became, and it was a different film. And that's one thing with Cameron that I do like. When Cameron gets involved with a sequel, he tries to take it in a completely different direction. Yeah. So I'm curious as to what he's going to do with Avatar. Mm. But when we come to this... It's just nothing out of the ordinary. No, it's, yet, it is. It is by the numbers. Had, had they not had that big battle at the end, mm. you would have thought, well, this is quite a cheap film to make then, really. Yeah. Yeah. Except for the jet, you know, it, the the sets and costume and could have cost them 12 bucks. Yeah. But you know that it's not CGI, you know, the, the tanks and the helicopter no. they're blowing that the stuff real, up yeah. for real. Yeah, that is the only thing that is quite fun about it is that it's actually practical effects, and you know they're <clears throat> they're doing everything for real. The the film it reminded me of that Chris Hemsworth made Twelve Strong. Do you remember yeah, that yeah. where he goes yeah. to Afghanistan and rides around on horses? But in that that being a much more modern film, they actually make the point. The Afghans say, "Yeah, we've seen your lot." before come here and you will come here again and you will never win because nobody ever wins in this country. I thought that was quite poignant looking back at this Rambo 3 because in the end he just leaves. He's done his little bit and he leaves and that's it. He's got his his friend out as he set off together. Another odd parallel on that is The Man Who Would Be King. You know, where Michael Caine and Sean Connery go, it's a different war, different time, they go into Afghanistan, they're going to make their fortune. Oh, God, I'd forgotten about that. And yes. they get too cocky, yes. and it all comes down. Have you seen that one, Elijah? I have not. Is that the one where they uh, they find, like, the place of eternal youth or something? No, 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 no. This is a Rudyard Kipling story where um, these two British soldiers decide they're going to desert, go into Afghanistan, they're going to find a kingdom, and they're going to they're going to take the fortune out of it and come back with it. You know, like everybody going into Afghanistan, they've got these ideals of what they're going to do, and it all horribly corrupts around them. Peachy, yeah, Peachy Cunningham. Oh, is it? Pe- and the one where they all die, right? At the end? N- no, they don't. Or just Sean Connery. Yeah, that's the yeah, yeah. Spoiler, spoiler alert! alert. <laughs> I've read about Late it. Spoiler I haven't alert. watched it. Read about it, but I haven't watched it. I, I think I was looking. At Sean Connery's filmography one day, and I stumbled across it. Well, I think that could be a good remember in the classics. John Huston filmed it. He'd wanted to film it back in the 50s with Cary Grant and Humphrey Bogart. Wow. And uh, he just couldn't get the money together, and it just went on and on and on. 20 years later, he got the money together, and he used Connery and Kane. It is a remarkable film. So that's a possible um, you know, rediscovering the classics right there, I think. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. Now, one of the other things which compounds the catastrophe that part of this film was, not so we've spoken about politics, we've spoken about the actual film itself. There was a problem in the UK just before this film came out in 1987. We had a guy that went off mass murder and shoot him with a gun. Our way of stopping this once it happened was to ban guns but who knows eh and um <laughs> in fact we didn't actually we banned a certain type of gun but then we had another shooting a few years later and that's what sort of finished it all off but michael ryan in fact in a place not too far from you hungerford how many miles about 40 miles 40 miles about yeah. 40 miles away from where we are now so he decides to go off and kill a lot of people he killed 16 people 
16. 16. Mm-hmm. And then shot himself. And the tabloid press were all over this, as you'd imagine. Nobody knows why he did it. But the Daily Mail, which is... Daily uh, Racist. Yeah, Daily Racist, Daily Hate, whatever you want to call daily it. Daily Fail. Blamed the whole thing on First Blood. And they said Ryan was obsessed with the film, watched it all the time on his video. BBC said, who had screened the film once by this time, said they would never show it again. They did actually rescind that later on when the truth actually came out. This guy didn't own a video recorder, hardly ever watched TV, <laughs> and in all probability had never even seen First Blood. But but don't let in facts get in the way. Yeah, don't let facts get in the way. So what happened? Hey, hey, we've got a narrative to push here. Facts <laughs> yeah, exactly. No relevance to yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. But what happened was that when Rambo 3 comes along a couple of months later, British Board of Film Censors decide, and in fact, it was just one person. It was, who was the British Board of Film Censors? Uh, the famous guy? Michael Ryan? No, Furman. Uh, uh, James Furman. James, James Furman, Furman was the Hill. lead censor at the time. He says, right, we can't let Rambo 3 out. So we give it an 18 certificate, which is essentially an R rating, but nobody under the age of 18 can go in and watch it. And they cut over three minutes out of the film. Basically, every time Rambo draws a knife, that scene's gone. But he can shoot a gun, right? That's fine. Uh, Some of that was in, but some parts of that went out. But essentially, the knife was what was cut. So whenever... There's a scene, the famous scene in the film. When he shows the knife to the kid. He shows the knife to the kid. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, that was all gone. That was gone. None of that was in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It made the film almost nonsensical. And so it didn't set me off well with the film to start off with. Most of the cuts have been reinstated. There's, I think, five seconds now missing from our print because of a horse, a tripwire was using a horse, which is illegal to be shown in the UK. So that's still not still not shown. So why did they ban the showing of a knife then? I mean, I'd understand it more now than... Uh, yes, with, with stabbings now, you'd think they'd ban knives, but this was Michael Ryan's spree in Hungerford was all about guns. Yes, so he, uh, but, automatic weapons. Yeah, so why the knife? I don't know, but Furman leapt on this. Unfortunately, he didn't really leap on it. I wish he had. But <laughs> left on the knife. Left on the knife. Left on the knife. But he... Um, he could have done like my brother and sat on it. Oh, no. Don't Your brother sat in a knife. Yep. He and my older brother were kind of play wrestling, and his knife was just sitting on the bed, a uh, long, fixed blade. Ah. And he, like, jumped, and the knife just oh, jabbed oh. up into his butt. Oh, I mean, man. it was only, it was, you know, Could be half worse. an inch or something. He had a knife in the butt. Half an inch in the butt isn't all that bad. Yeah. So the film has had a very checkered history in the UK. Now you can see it uncut on TV, other than that horse sequence I mentioned. So it is very strange, the the whole thing. So the whole thing about this film to me is strange. It's got its politics wrong at the wrong time. It opened in the UK at exactly the wrong time for local political reasons. And I just don't think it's that great a film anyway. No, it's not. It's it's but it's it's fine, you know, if you if you're not paying that much attention, it's fairly harmless and it's, you know, it's 
it's a, it's, it's a good film to just shut your brain off and yes, watch as he takes exactly. and yeah. but, the helicopter. I mean, I, I, I mentioned it before, Angel Has Fallen and all that sort of Gerald Bratley stuff. I prefer Rambo 3 to those ones. Yeah. They, those ones are trying too hard. Rambo 3 I just sort of... I think I'm going of, to rent it. Angel Has Fallen tonight. You're going to rent yeah, it? Yeah, it's a good film. Oh, good please film. don't. It, waste it of money. Film. It's not. It's My not wife and I enjoyed the film. No, you will you not will. enjoy I loved it. it. I loved hey, it. hey. Olympus of Fallen is far better than White House Down. Oh, I got to agree. Oh, yes. yes, I mean, yes, I all of that. them, all of those sort of things—they're all terrible. No, with Olympus has fallen. With really the good. money Never and trust the technology, when the money and the technology we have now, surely we can do something better than Rambo Three. And how about an original story? Oh, sorry, I've gone oh, no, too well, far. There you I've go. gone you too just, far. Just so, being silly. That's insane. None of that nonsense. <laughs> so. So this leads us in nicely to where this film ends. So at the very end of the film, Troutman and Rambo get into the Jeep together and And drive off. Drive off into the sunset. Into the sunset, presumably to go back to America. Mm -hmm. Well, there was an extension to that ending where Rambo says, I can't do this. I'm not going back. I'm going to go back to Thailand and do my little Thai fight in and all this sort of stuff. And fix my temple. Fix my temple. With my uh, Taiwanese Burgess Meredith. Yeah. (laughs) But that's... I have to say that that intro where he's like, you know, helping villagers set their tire, the wheels back on their cart. Yeah. I kind of want a movie where it's just John Rambo helping random villagers out with crap. (laughs) That'd be a great computer game where you walk around fixing carts. What a take on Robin Hood that would be. Rambo 4. Rambo in Sherwood Forest. The Rambo 4 Carpenter. <laughs> well, the ending they cut out then becomes the key focus for the next one, just called Rambo or Rambo Part 4, where he's in, uh, going into Burma. And that we're going to be looking at next time. Now that, if you watch the director's cut, is a really, really good film. But you have to watch the director's you cut. You have to watch the director's cut because it extends the characters. Rambo 4. Director's cut. Ne- Coming next month, director's cut in Burma. So let's that, just... That film is so hard to watch. It is a very, uh, very tough film, no doubt about it. There are scenes, like, there's not a whole lot that faces me when it comes to violence, but I almost turned it off when they're, ran, when they're raiding the village. I think, and again, when we go in to talk about that, you've got personal stories on no people that were that that have been into Burma, don't you? I don't know if I know people who've been to Burma. I know people who've been in the area. Okay, so a couple of words sum up Rambo Three. Neil, I'll start with you. That was okay. It wasn't exactly difficult, was it? To, difficult to watch, but it wasn't much, was it? Elijah, it's enjoyable. It's a it's a it's an eighties action film. It is what it is. You do get to see him, you know, slaughter a bunch of Russians if that's your thing nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, I said it before, it was just a standard action flick and it had no depth to it at all. And really, when you compare it to the one and two, it's just a massive drop-off in intelligence or actual um, drop-off in substance. Okay. I mean, like I, I said last time, I think it does try to to point to a conflict. They use it more as set dressing than as what they probably could have done with it. 
As much as Rambo Part 2 got its timing right, this film seriously misjudged the mood and the time. It also had to deal with the star's ego, hence the buy-in of the aeroplane. In trying to keep as close as possible to what the filmmakers believed made Part 2 such a huge success, they picked the wrong conflict. That fact, coupled with a bloated production, killed the franchise for 20 years. It was only due to the success of the emergence of another Stallone character, Rocky, that allowed Rambo to come back, but on a much reduced budget. However, if you look at Rambo 3 as a metaphor for American involvement in Afghanistan, they go in to help support the fight and win, and then there's a dark edge to that victory. It certainly has some merit, just not the one intended. Right, so we spent the last two films focusing on American foreign policy under Reagan and American intervention in other countries, mostly the war on communism. When Rambo returned, it was for a very, very different conflict with a slightly more bloody approach. Indeed. Next month, we'll be back. With more blood. With more blood. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and uh, one more thing. After recording this show, Elijah shared some anecdotes about one of his school teachers who was in Afghanistan around the same time as the Rambo 3 movie is set. If you'd like to read these tales, please go to our show notes, which can be found at at theflex.uk Thanks for listening.